Well, uh, we've made a few references to things not going as planned this week, and uh, that makes me think of a particular word, which makes me think of Calvin and Hobbes. If you uh, grew up nurtured by this particular comic strip, you know that um, it is one of the best ever, right? And um, you know that Calvin loves a particular book called Hamster Huey and the Gooey Kablooey, and his dad is not a big fan of this book, right? Um, but that word is the word I haven't been able to shake out of my head this week, kablooey, right? Just everything going. Um, we had grand plans that we look forward to every year with lots of preparation for today's uh, special service that involves many special components where a group of young people would come and for the first time ever say before the world and the church, I am naming Jesus as my Savior and giving myself to Him for the rest of my life. It's a children's membership service that we do once a year, a couple of baptisms on the schedule, and these uh, young people are going to participate with us in the Lord's Supper for the first time ever. We've had to postpone all of that, not cancel it, postpone it, wait until we can be together and celebrate as a church family. But you make all those plans, and then they kind of go kablooey. And you spend time putting together this sermon series, 13 weeks from the book of Acts about evangelism. Man, this is so excited. We're so... Is this a week to preach that sermon the way I'd planned it? Kablooey. And spend all this time lining up that sermon series with that worship service and all these plans. And, well, you know, you can say the word too, right? Kablooey. It's this kind of week that reminds you at every term that human effort and human planning alone are not enough. We live in a world that is bigger than we are, and there are a whole bunch of things in this world that are beyond our control. That thought can be scary. It can be unsettling. This morning, we're going to listen to two passages from Scripture and hear our Heavenly Father say, You are not alone. I have something for you to do. It can save the city. Not because of your planning and effort, but because the thing I have for you to do is wrapped up in the larger reality of what I am doing. Let's listen to two passages of Scripture as the Father says that to us. Christina, thank you. This morning's Scripture reading is selections from Psalm 127 and Acts chapter 2, first from Psalms. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. And from the book of Acts, therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pause for a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, um, I'm sure that around the world every week this prayer is offered many times. I offered it again. Would you set my lips on fire? Would you send the power of your Holy Spirit to sweep through my heart, the heart of every person who hears these truths about you and about the good news of Jesus? Would you use this unusual circumstance as the the place where you light the spark that changes our lives, our city, our community, our world. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So all week, um, for reasons already alluded to, right, the kablooey, all week I've been feeling this tension, and some of you have probably felt it as well, between our preparation and God's protection, what, what we do and what God has to do, this tension, right? One, one of the reasons I've been reflecting on that tension is because of a conversation we had in our home recently, um, hearing about the way some, some people have been responding to an event that occurred uh, in late February as uh, Vice President Mike Pence gathered a group around him, the White House Task Force on the Coronavirus, uh, for a moment of prayer. And uh, this image of that moment gets broadcast, and it, and it led to a couple different kinds of reactions. One reaction was, don't pray, do something. One, one reaction to that image was, was kind of to put emphasis on the need for human preparation, our work. Don't pray, do something. We need to do something. Another reaction was to kind of say, yeah, but prayer is important. Putting the emphasis on God's protection, on God's work. And as I've tried to read through and sift through the reactions, they tended to fall along that fault line, emphasizing one or the other. What I want us to see this morning from Scripture is, boy, we are always going to be tempted to do that. We're always going to be tempted to separate our work from God's work. We're always going to be tempted to say it's one or the other. That leads to panic. If it's all about our work and not God's, we better get busy. It can lead to paralysis. If it's all about our work and I'm not good enough to be part of the work, then I can't do anything. Or it's about pride. My work will save the city. We don't need God. Or, I trust God more than you do. I'm not doing any work. I'm gonna, I trust him enough to let him do all the work. Those kinds of reactions aren't going to be helpful. They aren't true to who God is and what he says to us through Scripture. Let's notice how Psalm 127 holds our work together with God's greater work. Now, if we read Psalm 127 
with an emphasis on our work, we will say, you know what? The house needs to be built. That's one of the images in the psalm. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Don't picture uh, carpenters with nails going into two-by-fours made of wood. Picture, picture the ancient Israelite builder with a hammer and chisel carving stone. Unless, unless the Lord builds the house, then every time you swing the hammer, it's meaningless. The other image is that of guarding the city. Right? Unless the Lord watches over the city, those watchmen we put on the wall at night to listen carefully and watch for anything out of sorts, the city won't be safe even if they do their job unless the Lord guards the city. If we read this as though it's, it's really emphasizing only our work, then we're going to say, hey, the house got to be built, the city's got to be guarded, figure it out, get everything right, the house will be built by our wisdom. The city will be guarded by our efforts. We don't need the Lord to build a house because we got this. We don't need the Lord to watch over the city because we've got our best people on the wall 24-7. We're good. Thanks for the offer, Lord. But this is really about our work. Well, we could flip it the other way and read it as though Psalm 127 said, hey, put the emphasis on God's work. Just pray, and the house will pop up all by itself. Just trust God, and the city will be safe. Don't worry. Don't take extra steps to keep the city safe. Don't worry about it. Don't go buy a hammer when you need to build a house. Just pray, and maybe the rock will take the right shape all by itself. The psalm doesn't say any of that nonsense, right? What does the psalm say? The psalm says the builders have to labor. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. It doesn't say, builders, put down your hammers. Don't sharpen the chisel. Wait for the rock to fall in place all on its own. It says, builders, you got to swing the hammer. you got to labor. Because your labor is important, it's absolutely vital and necessary because it fits into God's greater work. The Lord builds the house, and the laborers labor. And your work matters because it fits into the greater work that God is doing. If your work is medical work, it matters. Because it fits into a greater work that God is doing. If your work is the work of a parent trying to figure out a new routine and schedule for your household, that work matters. It matters because it fits into something bigger that God is doing to protect and save the city. Your work to save the city has impact because it's part of something bigger that God is doing. And so the work you do to make slides matters, even if you forget to display them, right? So we're just walking through three ways of reading this text. One is yielding to that temptation to separate our work from God's work by falling on one side. Stop praying, do something. The other is reading it, reading, reading life as though we could separate our work from God's work and say, hey, you know what? Only God's work matters. So 
Sit down, relax, stop doing stuff. Let him do it all. But we see the scriptures don't separate those things. Our work matters. It has the potential to keep the city safe. It has the potential to provide shelter for those who need a home because it's part of something bigger that God is doing because it fits into the greater reality of who he is and what he's accomplishing in his world. We can see how that applies to something like the coronavirus, right? I mean, that's that's what we're thinking about this week. And we can say, Lord, we're taking all our steps, we're making all our plans, we're writing careful communications, we're sending those out, and then 36 hours later, we're learning new stuff. And it turns out that all of our plans and all of our careful communications weren't enough. The world is bigger than we are. Our work has to be rooted in something bigger you're doing. Otherwise, we're going to feel completely paralyzed and inadequate. But that's not our calling. Our calling is to go up on the wall and keep watch. And if we make a mistake during the watch, God is guarding the city too. We don't panic. Our job is to swing the hammer and cut the block into the right shape and lift it and put it there. And if later we have to tear that wall down and rebuild it, it's going to be okay because our work is part of something bigger that God is doing. So we're going to work out of a place of humility. Father, it is not the steps we are taking that will keep us safe. We we don't put confidence in us. We put confidence in you. And at the same time, real confidence. Our work matters only because it's wrapped up in something bigger you are doing. But our work matters precisely because it's wrapped up in the greater reality of who you are. So if you're, on the, if you're on the spectrum that tends to lean toward relying on human work and you're going to be tempted toward pride, remember your work does matter, but it's only because God is doing a greater work and using your labor as part of that. Now, if you tend to lean toward the don't worry about it, sit back, be passive, trust God, rely on His work alone, and you're not sure if your work could make a difference, well, you need to hear your work matters precisely because it is a vital part of the greater work that God is doing. We can see how all of this applies to life, to preparing for the coronavirus. How about, how about to that thing that I thought we were going to emphasize in today's sermon? Evangelism, Acts chapter 2. Christina read for us a few verses from Acts chapter 2, and you can see how we can make similar mistakes when we talk about our calling as the people of God to speak good news to our neighbors, good news about God, good news about what He's done through His Son Jesus. That's When I use the word evangelism, that's what we mean by it. Speaking good news. 
speaking good news about God and about what he's done through Christ. We have a calling to engage in that work. Well, what if we read Acts chapter 2 and what it says about this calling, putting emphasis just on God's work? So the Apostle Peter is speaking this good news, and, and in verse 39 of Acts 2, he says, This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, anybody, anywhere, anytime, who will believe this. It is good news for you. But, but notice how the verse ends. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Oh, well, that's it. Man, if God calls people to himself, then we don't have to do anything. Right? If, if God is the one that draws people to himself, and he wants people to hear this good news about Jesus, he'll find a way to make that happen. I don't have to be involved in the process. If he wants a house here, he'll build it. I don't need a hammer. If he wants the city safe, he'll guard it. I don't have to climb a ladder and go up on the wall at night. Right? It'd be easy to do that and apply that to, to our work, our calling, as his people of sharing good news with our neighbors about Christ. Oh, man, the scripture says it right here. God is the one who calls people. Let's trust his work. We don't have any work to do. Well, hang on a second. Who said those words? Who said that, that this promise is for all whom the Lord our God will call? The apostle Peter said it. Can you imagine Peter on the day of Pentecost? Somebody like taps him on the shoulder and says, Hey, Peter, there are like 3,000 people out here wondering what's going on. They, they're, they're noticing that all the things promised in Scripture are starting to happen. Some of them are confused. They think we're all drunk. But others are really legitimately curious. They want to know, what is this? what has happened in this city with this man being crucified and rising from the grave? And, and what is this event of, of the Holy Spirit being poured out have to say to us? We've come here from all over the world. Peter, there are 3,000 people right here, right now, wanting to hear this good news. Peter shrugs his shoulders and says, I don't care. God wants them to hear good news. He'll figure out a way to get it to them. I'm not going to say anything. Peter didn't respond that way. Peter firmly believed that God does a greater work than you and I can do. Peter firmly believed that only God can change someone's heart. Peter firmly believed that God does the work of calling and drawing people to himself. But Peter also firmly believed, i got to stand up and say something. Or these 3,000 people won't hear this good news today. So we could put the emphasis on God's work, but that's not how Scripture works. That's not the wisdom that Scripture is calling us to. We could, could put the emphasis on our work as we think about our calling to share good news with people. We could say, you know what? Um, getting it just right when you try to talk to somebody else about Jesus is so important, so don't bother trying it. Your work is the key ingredient, and I don't think you're good enough to do it, so don't bother. If we start to look at evangelism and place all the emphasis on our work, our knowledge, our expertise, our having all the answers, 
our never needing to say to someone, that is an awesome question, I don't know the answer to it. Thank you for asking it. Thank you for taking spiritual stuff seriously enough to ask a hard question. I don't know the answer. We will never do that. If we put all the emphasis on our work, we'll get paralyzed. Or we'll get really prideful. Yep, this is going to work because I got it right. I got it down. I'm awesome. We're awesome. The program I went through is perfect. The, the script I memorized is magical. As long as I say these words to the right person at the right moment, they're going to become a Christian. All because of me. I don't think Jesus is in the business of making people more arrogant. We're not reading God's reality right if we keep separating these two. What, what, is, what is God actually calling us to? See our work as part of his larger work. There is something that he alone can do. And we have a key role in it. We have to swing the hammer so the house can get built. But our swinging of the hammer is not enough to make sure the house stays safe in the long run. We have to stand on the wall and guard the city. But our standing on the wall is not enough to keep the city safe in the long run. We have to do our work. Our work has value because it's wrapped up inside of a greater work that God is doing. What would all this look like right now? In, in the midst of coronavirus week? <laughs> Month? Months? I, I don't know. What, what might this calling to share good news with people look like right now? I'm going to suggest something really key. The good news about Jesus has a basic rhythm to it. Two parts, cross and resurrection. Peter says that in Acts 2, verse 36. Rest assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. What is the event that showed everyone that a crucified man was the Lord of the whole universe and God's chosen Messiah, King? It's the resurrection. Be assured of this. He was crucified. He has been resurrected. There's our twofold basic rhythm. You are going to hear your friends and neighbors talking about that rhythm in every conversation you have. Listen for it. It'll sound something like this. It'll sound like sorrow and joy, weakness and strength, anxiety and peace, loss and fullness, cross and resurrection. Listen for it. Here's how it might sound in the weeks to come. I'm so afraid and I want it to be over. Do you hear the cross, the fear, and the longing for the joy of resurrection life to come in after the fear is over? It might sound like this. I'm so stressed. When can I relax again? The cross, stress, tension. Rest, peace. It's resurrection, life, and joy that we're all longing for when we feel that desire for the stress to give way 
the relaxation. I'm exhausted and I really need some rest. Heard anybody say that this week? Trisha can't raise her hand. <laughs> it's the cross and resurrection. It's that twofold rhythm of life because Jesus came to heal life. And so there is cross and there is resurrection. It might sound like this. I am at greater risk than other people from this disease, and I really want to be safe. I want to move from risk to safety. I want to move from disease to wholeness and health. Cross, resurrection. Our neighbors might be saying, I miss my friends. I really want to see them again. Cross and resurrection. Everybody around us is having conversations about the gospel. Longings that are addressed in the work of Jesus. What would it sound like if we wanted to open the door to continue that kind of conversation? It might sound like this. It might sound like, you know what? In our church right now, um, Easter's coming, so we're thinking a lot about that same kind of rhythm of joy preceded by sorrow, of Life preceded by death. We're thinking a lot about that rhythm of, of something hard being followed by something wonderful and glorious. Is there anything I can do to help you? As you're wrestling with that? It might sound like something like this. Hey, when, when you talk about being at greater risk in this moment and longing for safety and all of that, it, it reminds me, if you don't mind my bringing this up, it, it reminds me of how my faith as a Christian connects to real life. Because my faith is really centered around that same rhythm of something being wrong and something healing it, of Jesus being crucified and Jesus being raised from the dead. It always encourages me. I hate this coronavirus thing, but it always encourages me to see that what I believe really does connect with real life. Anything I can do to help? It might sound a bit like this. It might sound like saying, thanks for being honest enough to share all that with me. You know I'm a Christian, right? And at our best, we don't play games. At our best, we don't pretend. At our best, we can be honest about how bad the bad hurts. And we can be honest about how deeply we want joy instead if we can't be honest about those things then what's the point I wonder if there's an opportunity for us to have thousands of those kinds of conversations with each other with our neighbors in the weeks to come and there's part of us that's going to ask yeah but what kind of good would that do 
What difference will one swing of the hammer make? What will it matter if I stand on the wall for a few minutes in the middle of the night? The answer, of course, is if God isn't at work doing something bigger than that, then it won't make any difference. Your little hammer blow won't accomplish anything unless it's part of something bigger. Your few minutes keeping watch at night won't keep the city safe unless... God is doing something bigger than you and me and all of us put together. If we were relying on our work alone, it won't make any difference. But this rhythm of cross and resurrection tells us that we aren't alone, that God has come into our world and that he has done a greater work than what our work could accomplish. He has wrapped up all of our failure and all of our shame and all of our worries and all of our sorrows in the cross of Jesus and shattered their power over us in that greater work. He has taken all of our longing for joy, all of our longing for peace, all of our longing to have an impact on this world that would actually heal what is broken, all of our longing to do what we can to save our city, He has wrapped all of those desires up into the greater work of the resurrection of Christ so that all those longings don't stand alone. They're they're caught up in something bigger than themselves. Our work matters because God's work is greater. We trust in His greater work. We prepare because we trust that he's protecting. We swing the hammer because we know God is building the house. We stand on the wall because we know God is guarding the city. That's our confidence. That's our hope. Let's work. Not out of panic, not not out of pride, but trusting that God is at work through the cross, through the resurrection, doing something greater than we could imagine.